Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antetomaso here in Lexington with my co-host Evan Knowles. We have a great way to kick off the new season. Season 2 starting with Chase Minifield, a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur. We talk about his time in the NFL, his time being an entrepreneur. You won't want to miss it. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. My name is Nate Antetomaso in Lexington this time with Evan Knowles. How you doing, buddy? Doing well. Thanks for coming down. Of course. Of course. Welcome to 2019. This is our first real episode of the year after the CES recap. That was a great time. This is a real episode now, not a not a little special edition. This is the first episode of season two, and it's going to come off to a great start. We're super excited. Before we really get into the to the meat and potatoes of the podcast, just a little bit of intro stuff. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you for sticking around and coming back for season two. If you guys want to help us out, the best thing you can do is to get on Apple Podcasts, get on Spotify, get on Google Podcasts, wherever you listen. And make sure to give us a rating. We'd prefer a five-star rating, but be honest. Give us a review. Tell us what you think, and then subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. It's really going to help us bump up our numbers and uh, let us take this podcast to the next level. We also have a new website, middletechpod.com. Um, we're super pumped about that. It's it's really cool. We've kind of incorporated our whole new brand image across social media and across the website. So go check that out. And speaking of social media, you can follow us at Middle Tech Pod on every platform. We're putting out some cool content, Evan. Yeah, that's um, one of our big focuses this upcoming year is content. Yeah, yeah, we wanna we wanna do little clips, do some more. Um, kind of side content around the topic that we're talking about on these episodes. So if you want to dive deeper into everything we talk about, that's a great place to do that. That's at middletechpod.com, at middletechpod on every social platform. So should we just jump right in? Let's go this into episode? it, yeah. We have a great guest this week. We're super excited. This is the perfect way to kick off the year. We have a Forbes 30 under 30 entrepreneur right here in Lexington joining us today Chase Minifield, how you doing, my man? What's good, man? I appreciate you guys having me on here. Of course. Thank you for joining us. Of course, man. I, I've been waiting. I mean, I've been knowing Evan for a little bit, and you know, I've been waiting for the invite, so let's, let's <laughs> get waiting it. Waiting for the right time, yeah, man. We, we had to do it the right time, and starting the season's a good time to do it. Sounds good. That's right. So Set, set uh, the tone for 2019. Yeah. So Chase and I met. Uh, I saw that he was starting a cool company in town, software company. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm trying to keep in touch with everybody here and doing some cool stuff, yeah. and I saw Chase. I hit him up, hey, let's get some coffee, hit it off right from the get-go, have a lot of similar thoughts, a lot of similar ideas, uh, so it's just, you know, somebody I you know, want to stick around and, you know, be a friend with and mm-hmm. stuck around and I've learned a lot from him and he's been doing some cool stuff. Yeah. I Chase, we met at CES actually yeah. in Vegas a couple of weeks ago. Evan was talking to me about you beforehand and just meeting you and talking a little bit about what you're doing. Yeah. It's been great. You know... Evan, first of all, the one thing that Evan just said that I think that a lot of people should take from that is the fact that coffee and lunches, you should definitely go out and just put yourself out there and try to meet new mm-hmm. people, network with people. I think Evan's great at that. Yeah. Um, yeah, tell him how I did that. It amazes me that people don't understand how to do this. So yeah. I, want, I want somebody else to tell how I did this. You know? <laughs> just, just slide in the DMs. That's basically what he's doing. Yeah. You know, on LinkedIn, uh, 
And then obviously we on LinkedIn, obviously a lot more professional than Instagram. So uh, you know, we message each other, got together. I think a lot of people that are doing entrepreneurship are in the same position. They all want to meet everybody, and they understand the struggle that a lot of people are going through. Um, and you know, especially here in Lexington, um, there's not too many people that's out here trying to do the thing, especially younger crowd. Um, so I think the more people you meet, the better. And I think that you know, a lot of us should take a lot more efforts, like or learn from what Evan's doing. In fact, of just just stepping out there and pushing out there. What's the worst thing that can happen, right? Yeah. You send a message and what else? You get a no, you're, you're going to cry about it? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it's not that big of a deal. I'm sure you guys more yeses than noes. Yeah, you'd be amazed. Uh, I try to get coffee or lunch with, with at least two, three people a week, somebody new. Uh, and you'd be amazed at how many people actually, you know, don't say no. Most of them say yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. I would love to meet you. I'd love to share my experience because if you, if you tee it up right, you say, hey, you know, I'd love to get coffee, learn from what you're doing. I, we have similar interests. Let's just chat. And, you know, most of the time they'll say, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, to, to kind of continue on that topic, I think one thing people are probably scared about to do that is um, I'm not like if I'm going to say, OK, I'm going to reach out to somebody I want to meet with in my head. I would be saying, well, I'm not going to be providing value to that person at that meeting. How do you get over that thought of I have nothing to offer this person, but I want to take up their time to meet with them? I think I everybody, like that's probably a common concern. You just have to have the confidence to know that everybody has something to, to offer. You know, we're, we're younger, so some of the people I meet with are older, so mm -hmm. that's a different perspective I can offer. I might, I might not be able to offer, you know, experience, mm -hmm. but I can offer a different perspective from someone my age, you know, within what they're doing. Um, and personally, I try to stay, you know, in touch with technology, and so if they're doing something within a different industry and I know something about the technology in that industry, I might just give them a tip or, you know, you know let them know there's a company similar to what they're doing. Just, just it could be something small. It really can. Like, yeah. And most of the time, even if you don't have anything to offer, they're just happy to talk about themselves. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> People love talking about themselves. True. Yeah. So let's jump in. Chase, we'll get into everything about your career uh, and your history. Do you want to just give a couple highlights and then we can pick yeah, and choose and go from there? Like where you're from. Yeah. yeah, I'm from Lexington, man. I'm born and raised here in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, the Lexington School for anybody that's local, private school. Um, went to Henry Clay High School right after that. Mm -hmm. Went to the University of Virginia. After that, then I played in the NFL for a few seasons. So I'm a football player, athlete, um, coming up in the city. Um, got into entrepreneurship after the NFL. Um, and now I'm here. I'm here in 2019, 29 years old. Barely made the 430 list. <laughs> but um, things are going well. So one of the things I wanted to ask was, did you have any business interests pre-football? Like where did that where did that come from? Yeah. Honestly, from? to be honest with you, if you told me anything, I would have been playing twenty years in the NFL, one of the highest paid players in the NFL, retire and go into real estate. You know what I'm saying? That, like, was, that, was that would goal. probably be the ideal yeah. the ideal thing, you know. And I thought I had the skill set to do it at the University of Virginia, you know, I wasn't shabby. I was two time All American and two time first team all ACC player. So I had a first round, second round grade. Um just ultimately you know, I had options to leave after my junior year. Um, I didn't have to stay. I stayed my senior year, got hurt. Um, and things just start, you know, you, you, whatever your story is, you're going to start to realize where you're, where you're supposed to go. Um, it's more about the character and the principal traits that you have beyond what you're actually doing. Um, so I think that if you have the right character, the right traits, the right, the right things that make you, um, you can really get into any space and, and make it work. So what age did you start playing football and realize that that's what you wanted to do? Well, my dad, he played in the NFL for a decade or multiple decades. Oh, really? So he was a 12-year player, uh, 1980s all-decade team. He's he's from Lexington. He's he's one of the, the Cleveland Brown greats, been up for the Hall of Fame multiple times. Um, so obviously having him in my household 
makes me think, you know, the trophies and the jerseys and the and the uh, helmets, all those different types of things like that. I thought that was cool. I thought that was mm. that was something that I always wanted to do. Um, if you look at any, you know, when you're in little, when you're in elementary school and things like that, they make you. What do you want to be? You look for any of that for me. It's always professional athlete. Yeah. Um, I never was like fireman or cowboy and nothing like <laughs> that. Like it was always professional athlete. I didn't really care what it was. Uh, football, basketball, baseball. I always wanted to play sports at the highest level um, since I was youngest, since I was young. Um, so that's kind of where that come from. Um, and he's also an entrepreneur, so he has a lot of influence on my life as well. Yeah. yeah. When you were in college, uh, what was that experience like? Were you, what were you studying? What was it like balancing football school? What was, what was that like? Man, I went to I went to the university. So I, uh, I was always a good student. My mom, she, she, she uh, pushed me to be a good student always. Um, so I, I had the opportunity to go to University of Virginia, obviously a highly uh, prestigious university. Um, they say it's um, the Harvard of the South. <laughs> um, so there's a vast there's a vast difference between the athletes that are going there and the students that are going there. Um, but ultimately, the athletes are heavy academic athletes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was there. I actually got into school as an engineer, which is kind of surprising. I wanted to do engineering. I wanted to do business. Mm-hmm. But then when I got there. Um, I was like, how many, how many, how many uh, football players is in this uh, program? You'll be the first person. So, you know, I was like, well, let me, let me go talk to my advisor and reevaluate. Yeah. The last thing I really want to do is get kicked out of school um, and can't, can't complete my, my coursework, right? So not seeing anything. And, I, and to, looking back on it, I kind of regret that decision. Um, cause I wish I would have got an engineering degree because, um, I mean, I could have done it. It's just I, did, I was kind of uh, fearful. Um, and I guess if anybody's listening out there, the, you should face your fears. You should run towards your fears instead of, instead of you know, kind of like um, suppressing your ability, suppressing yourself, putting limits on yourself that you don't even know if it's capable or not yet. So I, I suppressed myself and I went the sociology route, kind of cruised through college, um, graduated in three years, was able to start my master's my last couple years, end up going to the NFL, working on my master's, finished my master's at the University of Louisville. Um, right after I got out of the league, so that's kind of my my little educational background. Yeah, what was it? What was it like being a college football athlete on that on that level? Mm-hmm. You know, NFL is one thing. We'll talk about that here in yeah. a bit. But what was it like to you know, in college? Man, you know how college life is. College life is <laughs> is college life. So um, <laughs> yeah, being an athlete when you're not really a good athlete, when you're just like one of the, you're just you know, you're just like on the team then it's a little different than when you're actually the guy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I kind of experienced both of those, those life, those experiences in college. Um, yeah. Let's just say one's better than the other. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was a good time. I really enjoyed my time at the University of Virginia. If you've never been to Charlottesville, Virginia, you should go. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful campus. Um, they have a thing there called The Lawn, which a lot of people talk about. And it's kind of like Thomas Jefferson's first rendition of a college of a college campus where all the students and all the teachers live in the same area. It's a little line area. Oh, that's cool. Um, there's still to this day no water. You got to go outside to go to the bathroom. They think it's prestigious. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to live there, but people still live there and things of that nature to yeah. this day. So that's, that's kind of cool. cool. What was the the life specifically of like being a student athlete and trying to to juggle all the demands of being an athlete, going to practices, and yeah. and maintaining your your grades and your academics at a school like Virginia? It was definitely a tough um, situation. It's not easy by any means, but you know, if you put your mind to it, you can get it done. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, like you said, there's only so many hours in the day. Yeah. Um, but I, I thought it was very doable. Obviously, they provide a lot of support as far as tutors and yeah, 
and help in that situation like that. Um, but yeah, it's hard. It's, it's demanding. You mm-hmm. you don't have as much time. But you know, I, I actually am a, um, a very big supporter, or I, I talk a lot about how I feel like colleges should allow athletes to have more free time. Yeah. Um, have more free time. Allow them to pursue things like internships and things of that nature because mm-hmm. you don't get much um, career development while you're playing sports and you know other opportunities that regular students get. I feel like that's that's very lacking as far yeah. as with athletes. Do you think student athletes should be paid? Uh, that's a that's a bomb of a question. Yeah, I mean I've heard it plenty of times, and I think yeah. I'm on the side of they they should. Yeah, to be honest with you, um, just thinking about from a business perspective. Um, they're making the college, they're making a, lot college of, yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> the ROI, you know even if you pay them, it's going to be Coaches crazy. are the ones that's getting paid most of the money. Yep. So, I mean, even something is better than nothing. I wasn't in a position where I was needing for anything. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people out there that are struggling, you know, yeah. even just doing stupid things from just, like, stealing out of the sack. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. why risk a scholarship to steal, like, some pencils or something for for school? You know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, you need your pencils. Or you're hungry, you yeah. steal a Chick-fil-A sandwich, and you don't check out, and you just stop putting your coat. Like, stupid things like that, I've seen it. That um, should never be the case. Right. I mean, that's 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 sad. That's, yeah, it's crazy. Good. I've seen it, man. I've seen it where, I've seen identity theft where somebody drops their ID card and they go and swipe it on a vending machine. Yeah. And just stupid things like that, I feel like, can be avoided. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and it ruins a lot of people's, like, outcome of where they're going, so... Um, yeah, I think I think small amount of money wouldn't wouldn't hurt. Yeah, I mean we could do a whole podcast just on that. Like right. that's such a nuance and, and big topic, but it seems like things are moving in that direction. Hopefully over time. So you were you were at Virginia, you're a student athlete there, all American, all American. Yeah. Then you moved on to the to the NFL from there. What was that process? How how did you land at the Redskins? And- yeah, um, well it was a it was an awkward process. Obviously, I just said that I I thought I was a highly, I was one of the better players in the country. Um, I was ranked one or two in my position. Um, what was your position? Cornerback. Cornerback. So I'm guarding the wide receivers for anybody that might not, you know, be out there understanding the terminologies. But um, I was one or two in my position all year, um, ranked by Mel Coppers and Todd McShays as a top, top player. Um, I did have a history of injuries. Um, so I got hurt before my bowl game, um, right before the bowl game, which is at Damn. the end of the season. Mm-hmm. Wasn't able to really recover to the point of being able to uh, compete at the NFL Combine. I went to the Combine. Um, they put me in the little CAT scan thing. I was in there probably for three hours. I had to have the record for the longest CAT scan in the history <laughs> of CAT scans. Ultimately, after I came out of the um, this machine, you know, it was probably red flags everywhere. Ankles, shoulders, knees, um, everything. So I got blacklisted. Not, they don't tell you that you're blacklisted, but you kind of find out through your agent, like, hey, there's only a couple teams that are even willing to draft you. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a bummer going into the draft, um, knowing that you only got really like a couple teams that are even going to take a chance on you. Everybody thinks you're beat up, damaged goods. Um, you're not going to last long in the league. You'll play three or four years before your body gives up on you. Um, so that was kind of the, the, the situation that happened with me. I didn't get drafted. Um, Redskins gave me an opportunity as an undrafted free agent. Um undrafted free agents are kind of ranked by like how much money they give you as a signing bonus. So I was the highest paid undrafted free agent. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had high priority. They thought I could do well. They just didn't think I was going to last long. So it wasn't really a long time investment. Mm-hmm. They thought it'd be more of a short time investment. Um, played well. They had, I, I played to the point where I was, had the capabilities of, they thought I was going to be able to start my first year. Um, got hurt again in the actual like preseason training camp, tore my ACL, was out for the whole year. Mm-hmm. Uh, sat out that year, came back the next year, played the next two years. Um, 
got the start against the Indianapolis Colts and got a concussion in that game. And basically, that was the end of it. You know, too, too many injuries. They say you can't make the club in the tub is a saying <laughs> that the NFL uses. So I was in the tub a little bit too too much. Um, and ultimately, it was forced retirement, yeah. what, what it turned into. Talk about your mentality during that time. You know, keep getting knocked back with injuries, with, you know, teams necessarily not wanting you. What, what was going through your head, and how did you get over that? Man, I had a humongous chip on my shoulder. Um, almost like a – and it was almost like a – of like anger towards not getting what you felt you were worth, um, mm-hmm. which geared me towards like training hard and I, I went super hard and um, I just felt like I kept on getting knocked down. So that actually is a, I have a huge perseverance character trait in me mm-hmm. um, that allows me to one, not be a scared to not be scared to go back to zero and two allows me to never to be a tireless worker. And those are two traits that, that brought me into entrepreneurship that has allowed me to be successful to this point. Um, it's perseverance and a, a true uh, work ethic that is um, pretty crazy. And it comes from football. It comes from people telling you you can't. It comes from being injured and not being able to do what, you're, what you've been able to do previously and working your way back up. Like those type of things of life lessons and life situations, life experiences, you can't really um, duplicate you know what I'm saying? You only got it. It's only it's only one way to do it, and that's to go through it. So, yeah. you know, at the time it was like, why is this happening to me? But now you look back on it, and you're like, man, that built me. That building me. It sharpened my iron. It sharpened my tools set to be able to to almost be able to handle whatever comes at me. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a good way to look at it. That's cool. Any cool stories from NFL time? Yeah. Uh, cool stories, man. Well, obviously there's stories like Las Vegas stories, but we'll keep this. <laughs> we'll keep things like you know cool NFL player stories. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I would say that I was kind of like, I was kind of like the the guy that nobody liked. You know what I'm saying? Like I run my mouth and I'm kind of like brash and cocky, and he also thought that he's overlooked and people don't understand how good he is. Like yeah. I was that guy. So you know, there was a time when we signed Deshaun Jackson. From um, I'm not sure what team is the Eagles maybe yeah he's coming from the yeah. Eagles yeah. and we signed him to the Washington Redskins and everybody's like yo this dude's fast this dude's real fast man mm-hmm. and I'm like man I, he got to show me I'm from the show me state so you know what I'm saying <laughs> I don't even think we're from the show me state but this just sounds good right yeah <laughs> so you got to show me right so I go up there I'm more of a press corner I'm always like in your face I'm trying to beat people up at the line of scrimmage. Um, and Deshaun, I was going against Deshaun. I give him no respect. Like, I'm going to go up there. I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to whoop you. Yeah. And uh, it's sure enough, I missed, and he was gone. And, you know, <laughs> it wasn't even like a gone where, like, oh, you're running with him? It was like, Shh, And, you know, he's getting way out in front of me. I'm getting further behind. And I come back to the sideline, and they're like, I try to tell you, he's fast. I was like, yeah, he got some respect. <laughs> got to give him some respect. All right, so. Yeah. Now, he's one of those players that everybody knows is fast. Yeah, yeah. At this point, you know, yeah. he's, he's probably going to be a Hall of Famer and, yeah, you got next level speed for sure. Uh, so, what, what about the locker room? Everybody, one thing I'm always curious about is what's it like to be in that locker room? Well, you know, you got the stories with the in the locker room. As far as it's different from college, to be honest with you. Um, obviously, every locker room has like guy talk and things of that nature. But a dynamic that a lot of people probably don't know is that in college, it's like a family atmosphere. You live together. You go to to eat together, you go out to parties together, mm-hmm. you do all these things together, so you build a family a family bond over four or five years, however long you're together. Um, in the NFL, man, people are in and out, in and out, in and out. If you're at the bottom of the roster, you're always worrying about getting cut, getting cut, going down to practice squad, 
everybody's looking out for their own yeah. in the NFL. So it's a it's a real different environment, almost to where like um you gain relationships but you're not scared to lose relationships at the same time. Um, so it's almost a dog eat dog world. Yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Was that dynamic between each of the players? You know, yeah. to understand there's competition between the players for mm-hmm. starting roles and you know staying on the team and yeah. just wondering what that atmosphere is like. You know, before and after the games when you know at the end of the day it's just you and you got to perform for yourself. Well, not it's just it's not just you. There's a team there, yeah. but at the end of the day you can get cut or yeah. you know lose your starting position. So that dynamic I was always you know curious about. Yeah, man, it's definitely. Um, I had a hard time with that dynamic. Just because when I play, I always was playing for my guys beside me. But then when you get to the NFL, it's almost like this guy's playing for himself. I need to play for myself. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why should I take a hit for him? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And risk my injuries. It's and more your personal brand than the exactly. team's brand. Do so, the best teams get over that, though? Or is that always there? I think it's, from my experience, um, I think it would be the same across the league for anybody that's in like the bottom five, ten players on the roster. Starters and up, Tom Brady, people that got multiple-year contracts, they're probably in there. They have a relationship with all the guys that have been around there for a while. But it's a different environment once you get to that lower level, and they're going in and out, back and forth, things of that nature. So um, I would say if you have some security, it's all about security, and there's very little security in the NFL. No contracts are guaranteed. But there's a couple people that you know aren't going nowhere. So they have a different relationship. They're usually friends with the coach, things of that nature, Uh, families eating together, all that all that type of stuff, and it, that don't happen at the bottom of the roster for the young guys on the team. So, so of everybody that you met in the NFL and were teammates with or played on the field with, competition, who did you respect most? Um, I ran into a lot of guys that that I had a lot of respect for. Um, D'Angelo Hall, I have a lot of respect for him. I have a lot of respect for Kirk Cousins. Um, I played with Kirk Cousins in a situation where he was a second string player behind RG three, mm-hmm. Robert Griffin the third at the time was coming off a Heisman year, um, so that just seeing that whole dynamic and where Kirk is now, Kirk is a great guy, great character, um, faith based man um, that dealt with the situation extremely well. When a lot of people in the locker room thought he was a better he was the better player, but when money is involved, you're like you know it's a tough situation to deal with. So um, I respect him a lot for that, and I've met a ton of people from Mike Shanahan to. Um, Tom Brady to Bill Belichick, um, people that you don't even think know you that know you. So uh, that's a lot of respect in the NFL for people, man. Yeah. So what what point did you realize you know this, this NFL thing is not for me? Was it that injury? Or what, did you just what, what at what point did you realize this is not for me? And what, what was the next thing you did? Well, you would think that I would realize that like when nobody called me for a year, like hey man, it's <laughs> for you. But no, I was still training. I was still going at it and. Yeah. I kind of talk about this a lot when people ask me to talk is that, man, transitioning out of athlete from athletes to sports is a tough thing that really athletes got to understand. Like they get into an identity that this is what I do and it's kind of hard to give it up. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was kind of in that space for a year thinking like, man, surely somebody's going to call me. I just, my last game I was starting. Like, not like I was like on the bench. I started. Um, So, you know, you would think like, all right, somebody's going to call me. Somebody, Mm -hmm. somebody will call me. 12 months go by, nobody calls. Mm-hmm. So then I'm like, what am I going to And at this time, I'm actually working a job, to be honest with you. I'm working with my dad. Yeah. Um, just just keeping income coming in while I'm here in Lexington. I moved back to Lexington. Um, this is in 2015. Where did and, you train here in Lexington? Um, there's a couple guys. There's a guy over there um, off of um, over there by KVA that does some training over there at the soccer fields. Um, and then, obviously, I would train at the YMCA. Yeah. Um, 
it's not about where you train. It's about how often you train for anybody that's listening that's an athlete trying to make it to the professional level. Don't worry. Don't, don't get into the fact of who I'm training with and things of that nature. Just put in the time. Put in the effort by yourself multiple times. Um, but, yeah, man, I was here, and I was looking at my emails every day, talking to my agent every day. There's nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing. All right, whatever. Um, so we tried all the streams. We, like, my dad wrote coaches, and all we, we tried to pull everything to think, yeah. like, why aren't we getting an opportunity, at least a tryout, mm-hmm. to come back on playing the NFL. Um, ultimately, I went back to the CFL. Um, oh, I didn't know that. The Canadian Football League. I went to the Canadian Football League in 2015, um, and I was there for about a month <laughs> in <laughs> Toronto before I got hurt again. Uh, uh, yeah. Tore my Achilles, full tear. Ooh, ooh. Oh, so That's um, one of the most painful injuries. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Tore my Achilles, full tear, and that was, I was kind of like, all right, this is enough. Yeah. But at the time, I had started. I had already started Helping Hands. This was like my first year of working with Helping Hands, trying to get contract, having an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my, that's my first business, having an idea of what I wanted to do post-playing uh, career. So I kind of went there to supplement that that opportunity yeah um so actually when i was in the cfl i was actually making calls and contract and doing email calls email marketing uh-huh. to potential clients in between practices and things like that so um, i had a couple bites i actually facilitated a job from canada that was going on in virginia yeah. so um i kind of was you know trying to figure out what i was doing but i knew i could do this and i knew i could get paid doing football so yeah. that's why i was that's why i was up there so, so at that time, when, and we'll get into what Helping Hands is and everything, yeah. but um, before we do that, at that time when you were beginning to start it and you're also playing up in Toronto, um, you said that you know you were inspired by your dad, who is also an entrepreneur. What what made you take that leap to to start it and to to really just call yourself an entrepreneur in that time? I always wanted to have my own. Um, I'm not a guy that really is going to be. I never see myself behind a desk for too long, or somebody telling me what to do for too long. Yeah. Um, so I was really just trying to figure out what I was going to do, mm-hmm. um, what I like to do, things of that nature. And I'm not saying that what I started was something that I really like to do. Um, it was just something that I thought was a need. I thought there was a need there and I thought it would be an opportunity where I could facilitate and make it work. Um, so with just my dad being an entrepreneur, like right yeah, yeah. When my dad felt like was an entrepreneur, um, I kind of seen how his business was working. I was actually running most of his, but he had a new he had a new uh, venture that he was getting on, and I was kind of from the ground up. I was helping him run that. So mm-hmm. having that experience before I went to Canada for a year um, kind of gave me the confidence that I could create my own thing, and, and I would know how to sell it, market it, yeah. and do that. So Awesome. So what, what was Helping Hands? What is Helping Hands? And Helping Hands, man. Helping Hands is a student, a national student service providing company. When I first started it, um, we thought it was going to be a moving company, mm-hmm. specifically for doing move-in days at universities and off-campus housing. Mm-hmm. That was the first need. That I was like, man, these moving days are crazy. Yeah. And if anybody ever did a moving day at a university, it's probably like mm-hmm. everything going everywhere. Stressful as hell. Yeah. <laughs> everything going everywhere. So I was like, this, there's surely there's something easier to do mm-hmm. than this. So that's what we really originally thought we were going to do is go to these off-campus places. Yep. And we were going to, you know have dollies and people and we're going to move everybody into their dorms mm-hmm. um and we we're going to make money a lot of money so um we got an, an actual opportunity to do it in a couple places but then once we did a good job at these places they said yo you should do we're actually budgeting to do like turnover services so like clean paint carpet maintenance all these different types of things that we need to do once a student moves out like we got to have people that come in here 
and get this thing back ready to rent. Yeah. So that's where we're putting all our budget towards. So, you know, I said, well, sure, we'll find it and we'll get it done. We'll find out how to how to do it right. So um, we turned it to a student housing services company. That's how I marketed it was like we just do student housing. I didn't try to do like I didn't try to become a cleaning company. I didn't try to become a painting company. I didn't try to become a general uh, HVAC company. Like I was going to do whatever student housing services I needed. Mm-hmm. I was going to fit that niche right there that they they said their budget was set to. Um, and then I would find a way to supplement that. So that's kind of where it was born out of was that need. Um, I also wanted to provide opportunity for the people locally around here that I felt was going in and out the system, weren't getting jobs, just continually getting in trouble. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those people that I knew, grew up with, um, I wanted to provide them a platform where I could hire them and give them work opportunities and you know see like, are you really just messing up, or you, or can, or do you just need an opportunity? Yeah. You know. So, and in that situation, I've weeded out like some people needed opportunities, some people were just messing up. You know. So, um, it's been a great situation, man. Helping Hands has been growing strong yeah. for me. It's been growing two times, three times, four times over each year. So, nice. that's twenty fifteen. You started that. Yep, twenty fifteen. So, um, I kind of consider twenty sixteen to be our first year. Yeah. Just because I was kind of in and out, but you know, we've 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 grown triple times every year man so right. it's been a blessing in disguise and something that you kind of stumbled i kind of stumbled upon as far as like this is what we're going to do i didn't sit down and say helping hands is this and it is what it is now yeah it's um, interesting you say that i feel like a lot of successful businesses doesn't matter what industry they're in that's how they're built is they start with an initial idea mm-hmm. and then it just they have to pivot or yeah. it's, it becomes something that they never thought it would you know fuji was that way mm-hmm. and a lot of businesses are that way um, and so it's interesting you mentioned that because you got to be ready for whatever comes. You got to be ready to adapt for the market, and and that's that's a big part of entrepreneurship. Definitely, adaptability is is a big key for all entrepreneurs. You mm-hmm. can't can't be stuck on this is how it is and this is how it's going to be. The market will tell you what is needed, mm-hmm. especially as you know technology changes these industries. Um, and I think it's a good segue into what you're doing now. Your latest venture is Easy Turn. Did that come out of realizing, hey, there's a software piece to this? Man, that came out of realizing that when we were doing these turns, there's nothing in this space that was helping us do this. Like, yeah. it was chaotic, and it wasn't just chaotic here. Um, I It was chaotic around the country because Helping Hands, I turned into a franchise opportunity to where we have multiple locations that service, and this is in Lexington, has become like our corporate, yeah. our corporate hub. So we have an L.A. division. We have a Charlotte division. We have a, a Philadelphia division, a Virginia division, a Maryland division. Uh, we have multiple divisions around the country and we're all doing the same thing, but there was still the same problems for all these different places um, that we weren't seeing any technology in the turn space. Yeah. Um, so we decided, or I decided finally that, you know, let's create this, where how we think it's going to be a solution via technology. It's 2018, about to be 2019. There should be technology that can make things easier in all spaces of life in my thought process. Mm-hmm. Um from, you know, we got face ID recognition and fingerprint technology and uh, AR and AI and um, VR, all these different types of things that are out there in this space. You can't tell me that you can continue to hand me a spreadsheet and something's not easier than that. So um, that was the initial thought process behind Easy Turn was get rid of these pieces of paper that they're handing me yeah. in every place I'm going. Yeah. When I, when I first reached out, that's that's what I saw was Easy Turn. I looked more at your background realized there was a cool background, but... Once I kind of initially understood the idea of Easy Turn and met with you and heard more about it, I do see the market for it. And it's really awesome what you're building. So why don't you go into more of you know, what the product is and what you're trying to build out? Yeah, man. So Easy Turn is essentially 
a scheduling um, platform, management platform that streamlines everything that needs to be done in a turnover space um, in a short period of time. So um, managing um, contractors, managing people, managing when everything goes in opposite direction. So basically, I think of it like this. When you're in the huddle and, and the huddle breaks and everybody runs and scatters, easy turn and make sure you know where everybody's going, where everybody's at, what everybody's doing in real time. Um, and that's basically what student housing turn was, was cleaners going here, painters going here, um, CAs and community assistants going these ways, and the property manager sitting here at the desk not knowing what just happened. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the day, everybody comes back and say they did what they said they were going to do. Mm -hmm. Easy turn brings transparency to everything going on in that space in that time. Um, and obviously student housing is our low hanging fruit mm -hmm. um, because of the contract vendors and it's what we know. Um, but anytime there's turnover and it has to be turned over quickly and there's multiple moving parts, this platform can be used. Yeah. What are some other examples of that besides student housing? Um, we think there's we think there's examples of that in hospitals, we think there's examples of that in hotels. Um, I ask anybody, have you ever seen a cleaning lady with an iPad? In hotels, <laughs> um, we think it's available in airports. We think yeah. um, Airbnbs. Um, yeah, that's a big one. But there's a whole bunch of different different places that we think that there's going to get into, um, and not to mention we'll probably hopefully eventually get to the B to C space um, and can just be in your regular everyday day to day life as far as scheduling out services. Yeah, one thing we talked about in Vegas, and you just briefly touched on it there, was transparency. You said something interesting that you see a big uh, you know, open opportunity within te uh, technology for transparency. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what industry, it doesn't matter what type of technology, a lot of these technologies that are coming up are about transparency. Yeah. Why don't you speak to that and why you think that is going to be growing? Yeah, man, definitely. Um, so transparency, I think, is the, is the new wave. If you're trying to create anything, make sure it brings transparency to whatever is going on in any space at any time. Um, if you look into anything that's going on, any type of technologies that's coming up, it's usually saying, all right, if you use this, now you'll know what's going on here. If you use this, now you'll know what's going on here. So nobody's blindsided by anything. Um, I can't remember the technology that we were talking about. Oh, yeah, IoT or something along those lines. Yeah, yeah. Analytics. Analytics yeah. in general. Yeah. Um, but transparency, if you can provide somebody transparency so that there's no black space in there, then you are creating something of value to that person. Yeah. Then everybody can make better decisions. They know how to grow their company better. Exactly. They know who to reach out to. They know where the dangerous are. So, you know, that, that's definitely something that for sure is coming up, especially with the Internet of Things and sensors. And yeah, yeah there's, that's definitely a big trend for sure. So how long has uh, has EasyTurn been going on? When did you, you found that? Where are you with the, the platform right now? Man, EasyTurn, we, we started creating it. I would say I came up with the idea. So Turn happens in the summer. Yeah. Um, probably in 2018 summer, uh, I guess it'd be 2017 summer, 2017 summer, I decided, all right, after this, man, I'm about to sit down here and draw up screens and figure out how I feel like this thing can be fixed. Mm -hmm. Um, so I sat down, had a, I got, I still got pictures of like my kitchen floor, just full of like iPad screens, blank iPad screens and me drawing on like, this needs to do this, yeah. this needs to do this. Doing some, some yeah. drawing. Wireframes, just, wire hand, just yeah. hand wireframes, man. That's awesome. Um, and filling up the whole, like, I have, I've never been in tech, so if you guys don't know, I'm a third wave entrepreneur. Like, I've never been in tech. I have a service company. Uh -huh. um, I never, so me going into this tech space was me just taking on something. Yeah. So me just basically printing off 30 iPads, 
blank iPad screens and been yeah. like, all right, log in. You know what I'm saying? That's my favorite part of product development is yeah. just the, the wireframing and, and figuring out how you can piece it together. Like, log in. Yeah. All right, now when I click this, this is going to happen. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. That's basically how I sat down Make and looked at this. Make the tree of how yeah. you can all That's exactly what I did. Yeah. I made a tree of how this is going to work. I, uh, I found some developers around town, took them this binder. This big said, can you make this? Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, man, that's when we started. was September 2018, me sitting down and really drawing up those screens. I realized that you know I'm coming from a vendor's perspective. Mm-hmm. For me to find a business partner, I need to find somebody that was going to be not bringing the same thing I was bringing to the table. Yeah. So I went and found somebody who was our ideal customer. Um, okay. Lincoln Ogata, he's my business partner. Um, he's VP of Easy Turn. He has a facilities, a property management background locally. Nice. Um, so he would be the ideal person that would say, man, this is a value to me. Mm-hmm. So Lincoln joined our team. If I could convince Lincoln, I knew it was going to take us to the next level really yeah. quickly. So I was able How to... How did you find him and identify him? We actually... Um, if you met Lincoln, he's really like talk talkative guy. Man, he's going to talk your head off. <laughs> um, but... So it wasn't hard for me to meet. He kind of introduced himself to me um, yeah. on a property. He was actually working for a painting company, and I was doing the cleaning at the same property. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was kind of managing it, and I was managing my people, and we just kind of chopped it up a little bit. Learned a lot more about his background um, and realized that you know he had worked at UK. He was over top of UK's bed and the facilities guy and okay. property management for like the last 15, 20 years. Oh, wow. Um, so I was like, man, seems like a cool guy. Let me just tell him what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and see if he has any value in that. And for all entrepreneurs out there, one thing about being a great CEO is that you got to be able to sell vision. You got to be able to sell vision. So that's one thing I think I do well is selling what this can be, what it's going to be, and making something that may only be a couple pieces of paper in a binder look like, yo, this is about to be the next big thing. Um, and I still think it is the next big thing. But, you know, you still got to convince other people if they're going to join your team yeah. that this is that I agree with you. So me being able to convince Lincoln to join my team around January, I think we've got an agreement in January 2018, that, you know, he was on board, he's going to quit his job, and he's going to, you know, come here and he's going to work on this. So that was a huge step. I thought that was like, all right, now let's go. Let's let's, let's start hitting and running. He started, he started editing my screens and things like that. Yeah. Like, yo, we need this, we need this, we need this. I was like, yo, calm down. Let's just make sure they can do it first. Yeah. <laughs> but we got it all done. Uh, we launched in May 2018, which okay. is really late, considering that our our sales point was the summer still. Like, we're yeah. going to make all our money in the summer. Mm-hmm. And May 2018, we're basically there, man. Yeah. We officially launched. Um, we have been doing sales with wireframes, like official wireframes, like Envision App and things like that mm-hmm. prior to then, but okay. no official product. Um, so we were, they knew we were coming out and launching. Yeah. Um, and as soon as May hit, University of Kentucky jumped on board. I think that had a lot to do with Lincoln's relationships there. Yeah. They had some trust there. So that was a huge nice. opportunity for us, you know, for them to beta with us. Um, and then we also had a couple properties in LA as well. Um, once August came around in 2018, we were able to get a property in Vermont. We were able to get a property in Maryland. Um, ultimately when you look back on 2018, we, we worked with University of Kentucky, and we worked with the three of the biggest student housing property management companies in the country, mm-hmm. uh, which gave us a lot of traction in the in the space in such a short period of time, yeah. which allowed for people to think like, whoa, we need to look into what this company is doing, mm-hmm. um, which was what led to the Forbes thing. So, yeah. Um, Before we get into that, talk a little bit more about the beta with UK. Yeah, so uh, the beta with UK. And, and where did you... what? Dorms did you work on with that? We worked on the whole campus. So they whole used campus. this across campus, man. 6,800 beds, something crazy. 
um, 3,000 units. Yeah. So wow. they use it to manage their whole system. They wow. they scrapped their old way of doing it. They said, we're going to just use Easy Turn this summer. That takes a lot of trust for, for a government indie like UK. The, to the, say that, the right? bureaucratic red tape right. to just tear that down. It was That's a little crazy. easier um, just because UK is um, actually privately owned. Um, their oh, house, through, yeah, yeah, their yeah. housing is privately That's owned, right. so it was a little easier. They didn't have to as much mm-hmm. red tape to go through. The person that makes the decision is going to make the decision. Yeah. Um, so we did have that advantage, but ultimately them using it is allowing us to have meetings with Ohio State, allowing us to have sure. meetings with University of Southern California. Because you have that brand yeah. in the UK. Yeah, oh. allowing us to have meetings with um, you know UT and University of Virginia and all these different places. We say UK used it. They didn't use a spreadsheet. They didn't print off one <laughs> spreadsheet. They did it all virtually. They were able yeah. to manage all their labor, all their people, all these different types of things that was going into their summer, and they did it successfully. Mm-hmm. Um, we thought the biggest, they said the biggest selling point for them was they have 70 camps that come in and off campus all year. Mm-hmm. So understand that the communication that has to be done when you know that, all right, cheerleading camp's moving out of this building, yeah. uh, tennis camp's moving out of this building, and you got to have the cleaners, the staff, everybody be on the same page, which previously was done through text messages, um, group chats, That's uh, wild. those type of situations. So we're allowing them a platform that they can take pictures. Everything's all in one space. Everybody has access to the same thing, um, yeah. and it's specifically to their work orders. Now, the the people who provide the services that are on the platform is that something that UK inputted their own people onto the platform, or did you have relationships that you then no, we don't. To them we don't. We don't go out there and solicit no vendors, man. Okay. Um, we, we are soliciting strictly our clients, um, mm-hmm. people that are going to pay us, and then they upload their vendors. Okay. Um, once So ours is all after the contract actually happens mm-hmm. with them. So they'll have their agreement in place, and then they'll put their vendors in our system. Their vendors will download our app. Okay. Um, they'll receive their schedules through our, through our app, through their phones, and then basically be able to go through their work on a daily yeah. daily daily basis. That makes yeah. it a more streamlined process for you. Yeah, for and sure. Your sales as well. Yeah. So we don't before do before we get to the Forge stuff. What's next for Easy Turn? What's what's the next move? Man, Easy Turn this year is we have a full year of sales to do. Like we're doing a full year of sales, so mm-hmm. um, we kind of feel like we we were fortunate enough to make an imprint last year, but this year we're expecting a big imprint. We want to go four, five, six x. From what we did this past year um and hopefully you know get into my idea would be hopefully a million dollar company but you know anything in the six figure range i think would be a solid solid year high six figures mm-hmm. so um i think we have a lot of value obviously we have goals of like 10 universities and a national account and yeah. all these different types of things like that um but ultimately my goal is to say Let's let's get into student housing and make it a staple in student housing. Get in multiple companies, have multiple universities using it, um, and then ultimately let's let's start getting to the next industry. Yeah. Um, What's so, the revenue model, real quick? So we have a per bed per a per bed model, um, and our and our and our revenue model is going to change per per industry that I think we get into. But for student housing, we have a per bed um, for twelve months out of the year. So uh, just an example, you would pay five dollars per bed. Um, and you get it for 12 months. Yeah. So you can pay that at a one-time fee or you can pay it over 12 months. Makes sense. It's kind of hard for us because we're, we're, we're filling such a small gap of the year. Yeah. So a lot of people that have tried this have been at like saying, you have to, you can't, you almost have to provide enough value at a price point that is fair for that short period of time. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Do you see uh, any 
percentage of beds that, that turn more than once per year, like maybe after a semester, or if there are multiple camps during the summer, they continue to turn. Well, well, you know, the crazy thing is, we're, we're the first people that are creating that data. There's no da- there's no data out there that's yeah, that that's shows crazy. how many times you're, somebody you're in a good spot. Yeah, that yeah, shows yeah. you how many times somebody goes into a room or mm-hmm. how many times this room has been turned over. Yeah. Um there's no data out there that's creating that. So we're the first people that are creating data that actually exists um for some things that they've never known. Like if you ask that question to Ohio State University, they'd be like, I don't know. Yeah. And you would think that'd be crazy, right? Yeah. Um a hundred thousand student university. They you would think they would know everything that's going on on that property, but mm-hmm. we're the first people that are creating information from how well vendors are doing, um, how long people are taking on tasks, mm-hmm. um, how many times a room is being flipped, how yeah. many times have we tried to change this light bulb in this room, like <laughs> that's wild. A whole bunch of things. We're that's a lot of data that you like. Yeah, there's a whole bunch. There's a lot of things that we're making transparent in this field um, that is currently hasn't been transparent. That's good. So let's let's get into the Forbes stuff. Uh, how did you hear about this? How did you get involved? What was the process like? Tell us about that. Y'all might think I'm crazy, but I'd never even heard of Forbes 30 under 30. Like, I'd never even heard of that list. Really? I've never heard of the summit. Never heard of any of that. Um, and this was probably last year, like a month or two before they selected me for the list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I'd never heard of any of this. I got an email that basically they wanted us to exhibit. So I don't know if they were looking for extra exhibitors or whatever, mm-hmm. but they were wanted us to exhibit at their fourth thirty nine thirty summit in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, "There's like we'll give you like a ninety percent discount or something crazy like that um, if you if you pass or if you get through our application process." Yeah. So I went through the application process, filled it out, said, "This is what we do. This is who we are. This is what we made. This mm-hmm. is who we work with." Um, they were like, "Okay, that's great. Uh, let us set up a phone call for you." To see if you're worth an exhibit. So out of the people that are exhibiting, it's not like people that are just like paying to exhibit. Yeah. These are people that are chosen to pay to exhibit. That <laughs> makes yeah. it. Yeah. So um, like you have to be like an industry disruptor is what they call it. Yeah. So everybody that was there is doing pretty dope things. Mm-hmm. Um, so they considered us to be an industry disruptor. We end up, you know, paying a small fee to come up there and set up a booth and uh, meet a whole bunch of people. Um, mm-hmm. It wasn't like CES where there's a million booths. It was one one building. Well, it's like 40 companies yeah. of all different spaces from VR to, you know, the have y'all heard, I'm sure y'all heard of like the airplane Uber type situation companies that yeah, are coming yeah, yeah. around. Um, but all those different types of uh, innovative ideas that were, that were there. Who's the, who's the coolest person you met through this whole process? Um, I, mean, I met a whole bunch of cool people during this little Forbes 30 under 30 thing. Um, I think CES was the first time I really got to sit down and meet like people and talk to them, hands, mm-hmm. um, you know, shake hands and actually see what they're doing with their product. Um, but there's a company out there. I can't remember the name of them, um, but they basically they have a um, a pill box, a medical pill box that basically tracks a lot of different um, metrics that, like you said, not not currently in the space um, as far as like making sure that their grandparents are taking their pills and it tracks opens of the box and how yeah. when it, it, it alerts their phone like it's time to take two of these pills this day that yeah. that type of situation. So. There's a whole bunch Smart of things. Pill that's what we yeah. were talking about when we were talking about transparency. Yeah. In Vegas. Yeah. I said, yeah. you know, yeah, what, exactly what are some what cool was. things you yeah. saw yeah. there? And that's what you told me about. And that led us to that and conversation. The data that that provides. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy. It's never been available before. Same situation. Yeah, so uh, now that you are on Forbes 30 under 30 list, what, what does that feel like? Have you got any cool treatments? You know, I know it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. you were able to get some. Yeah, yeah, man, I was trying to get, I, was, I hope you guys didn't feel like I wasn't leaving you guys out or anything. No, like no, that, no, man. You had to do that. 
It was a couple invite onlys. Um, yeah, ten times better than <laughs> you know what, what we saying? were doing, dude. It's a couple invite only <laughs> events. Um, there was one event where you could like bring one person, but y'all know it's like a yeah. room of like four of us, so <laughs> I just want to bring like you know one person to be yeah. like, yeah. So it was cool, man. Um, so I think the, the from the people that I've talked to from previous lists and things like that is um, basically the networking tool yeah. that you get out of this situation is going to be the best thing you get out of it is. Mm-hmm. Um, learning, meeting the Forbes 30 on 30 list members from 2018, 2017, 2016. All the people are going to be at these tech events, at these different events around the country. And, you know, they'll, they'll set aside time to to talk with you, meet with you. So I've met people from, like, I met a local Kentucky, a, a Kentucky guy, actually. Oh, really? I'm not sure if he's from Kentucky, but he went to Western. So I consider that a Kentucky guy. Yeah. Um, but he, he, started, he started Hattie B's. It's a hot chicken, hot chicken oh, chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He started that. That's pretty dope to me. He was on the nice. Forbes 30 on the 30 list. He's an industry disruptor. Industry chicken. disruptor, man. And he's just young. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, to, he has a he has a place in Vegas. Um, he has multiple chains around the country. That's awesome. For hot for, for the hot chicken. Um, I did get an opportunity to be on a TV show in New York because I was on the Forbes 30 on the 30 list, nice. which just kind of came out randomly. But um, the actual chef, it was a cooking show. The actual chef on the show, he was on the Forbes 30 on the 30 list. So he was like, man, I got you on here because I needed somebody else that was on the Forbes 30 on the 30 list. Yeah. So, you know, just opportunities like that. Um, you know, people say it's, it's cool and things like that. I've enjoyed it. Um, I feel like it just gives me like, almost like a validation that you're like doing things that are cool and that are disruptive and that are mm-hmm. innovative. Um, which is like, I'm not, I'm not a fan of like just doing service. Like I, I was looking for my next opportunity to be honest with you. Um, like service is cool and my business does well for me. It pays the bills and allows me to, to do a lot of things. A lot of people don't get to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately I'm looking for my next thing and I wanted to do something that was allowing me to be creative, allowing me to try to create solutions that make this world a better place. Awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So at the beginning of this podcast, we said, you know, we're all about highlighting technology that is going on in space, the entrepreneurship space, the startup space. Here in Lexington, you're starting Easy Turn. What, what has it been like to start a company here in Lexington? Man, it's been cool, man. Um, like I said, Lexington is not the, the, the most innovative and, and technology savvy of places. But yeah, historically, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a, um, there's actually a, a, a good little group of technology people. Uh-huh. I think Awesome Inc. does a great job of you know, really bringing the tech community, the entrepreneurial community together. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't in that community, even though I was here since 2016, 2015. I wasn't a part of that community, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So in 2018, I really got dived into that community. I, I hope to be a bigger part of it in 2019 as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been great to know and get to meet people and, and continue to educate myself. As a third wave entrepreneur, there's a learning curve that you gotta you got to really run at. You can't, you can't uh, just sit back and think that, you know, I'll figure it out. You got to really be advanced in trying to understand what's coming next from investing to um, hiring on people to, um, you know, legal terms and yeah. all those different types of things like that. You got to, I think, Awesome Inc. and, um, you know, the people downtown that, that are promoting technology, they are doing a great job of helping young entrepreneurs like ourselves that may not understand what's going on in this space. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is, have you felt supported from, from groups like Awesome Inc.? Uh, and how's that? No, I felt really su- helped I felt, you. I felt really supported, man. Yeah. I felt I felt like there's been a great support system. Um, you know, the local investors they've been doing a, a good job of you know staying in touch and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they don't invest, they give you advice. Yeah. Um, things of that nature. For so sure. I think it's a it's a it's it's, it's been good. I do kind of urge for a bigger scene, um, mm-hmm. sometimes. But you know, 
I enjoy where I'm from, where, what I've done, and, you know, Lincoln, he's a local guy as well. So as long as we can stay here in Lexington, we're going to stay here in Lexington yeah. to, to, to make sure Easy Turn is considered a, a Lexington tech company that came out of here. That's awesome. Is there anything that you've identified or you think could improve with the space here? Um, I would say with what we have, I think we're doing a good job, to be honest. Um, it's not like we have access to um, too many different opportunities, to be honest with you. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a good distance away from big cities. Um, I think our closest is Chicago. How far is Chicago? Chicago's about five hours. Five, five hours. Half, Atlanta's yeah. what, about five? Yeah. Um, you know, so... For those major cities. Major cities. Yeah. You're, you're about, we're about in the middle of all major cities. <laughs> so it's not like we can really pull from these places some yeah. of the resources that they may have. Yeah. Um, I consider Louisville to be basically in the same boat we are, mm-hmm. so I'm not. I wouldn't consider it to be a, a, a major, major city. So um, I think with what we have, we're doing a great job, and I think that we are leaning on each other. But if you go, if for any entrepreneurs that go outside of this city and go to LA or go to Chicago and go to Atlanta, I advise you to look up tech events or networking events and and, and see what else is out there. But because there is a huge, huge space for what we're doing. Yeah. So closing statement: Where do you see Lexington Tech scene going? Where do you see the entrepreneurship? Um, I think it's going to be uh, going on and upwards from here on out, man, to be honest with you. I think with, you know, guys like yourself and and me, you know, continually to build companies here um, and then ultimately we'll be in touch with what's going on here after we're done. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that that's just only going to continue to multiply what's going on. I feel like Awesome Inc. and them was ahead of the game 10, 12 years ago, whenever they started. and we weren't, you know, they weren't really, we weren't really caught up to them. But now people are, there's young kids in UK doing entrepreneurship and tech companies. And as, you know, myself just jumping out of what I was doing into tech, mm-hmm. um, I feel like that's a positive, um, a positive situation for Lexington going forward in the tech space and the entrepreneur space.